You are listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, episode 98. The Canadian immigration process can be complex and frustrating. With the Canadian Immigration Department making it virtually impossible to speak to an officer, there are few places to turn to for trusted information. The Canadian Immigration Podcast was created to fill this void by offering the latest on immigration law, policy, and practice. Please welcome ex-immigration officer and Canadian immigration lawyer, Mark Holthy, as he is joined by industry leaders across Canada, sharing insight to help you along your way. Well, everyone, Hello! Welcome back to a retro Canadian immigration podcast. I'm coming to you from my home office here in the beautiful province of Alberta, Canada. Wow, it has been a long time since I really turned off the camera and just turned on my little roadcaster here to do a podcast. And uh, it's time. And I think it's going to be part of my therapeutic process trying to recover from <laughs> four years or whatever it was, uh, working my way through the CBA uh, national executive. And <clears throat> don't get me wrong, it was a wonderful experience, but boy, did it take a lot out of me. And uh, I made a decision that I was going to have a phenomenal summer. So I've never done as much and taken as much time off in the summer in my entire professional career. But hey, I am turning 50 years old this year. And I figure, you know what, I'm going to treat myself. Well, that's fine, <clears throat> but I, never before have I realized or appreciated how important those little videos that I do on my Canadian Immigration Institute YouTube channel, uh, how important they are to the lifeblood of the firm, because uh, when you stop doing them and take a little bit of a break, the incoming flow of clients tends to slow down. So as I worked till approximately 4 a.m. last night, getting my latest blog post up on my website <clears throat> and trying to digest what Minister Fraser just released <laughs> yesterday, which was September the 20th. Huh. What are we going to do? You know, we have a constant steady stream of announcements and announcements and very little follow through. So today what I wanted to talk about was my top six list of key takeaways from the minister's report that strategy to expand transitions to permanent residency. And uh, you can see this or, or get a copy of the actual, uh, of the blog post on uh, the Healthy Immigration Law website. You just have to go to the top and click on resources and click on blog. And then you'll see a whole ton of blogs that are, uh, yeah, that we've been pumping out in the little firm that could. And so as a virtual firm, Healthy Immigration Law now has for lawyers, which is kind of cool. And we're stationed in Ontario and uh, Ottawa and Toronto in that fine province. Uh, Chanel and Cedric are over there and Alicia's up in Calgary and I'm down here in Lethbridge. And well, we're just the little team that could. So <laughs> we're working our way through here, trying to produce a ton of content and uh, really try to make some hay while the sun shines here in our fine, uh, fine country. So top six list. Well, if you follow everything on Twitter and you see the release that uh, Minister Fraser did yesterday, you know, heralding this new plan, what most of us can see is that it's a, you know, it's a lot of regurgitation, I guess, of 
past announcements and consolidation of old previously announced programs. And uh, it left quite a bit wanting, I'll be honest. But with that being said, there were some clear takeaways. And so I want to go over my top six list. Now, sometimes you have to read between the lines, take a look at where we've been and where we're headed to see really what's what's happening here. But if I start off with number one, clearly it is the importance of work experience in key sectors. And so if I'm talking to my clients, the first thing that I tell them is, hey, okay, human capital may not be as important as it used to be. Now it's going to all, it's going to really heavily focus on work experience in those key sectors. And what are those key sectors? Well, as I read through the little report, I pulled out the ones that the minister had specifically isolated and singled out. So you've got health and hospitality, transportation. Well, that makes sense. Trade and resources, IT, engineering. And then he also had agri-food, agriculture, which in Southern Alberta, we're a, we're a big agri-food community down here around Lethbridge. So those two do not surprise me at all. But then he did, you know, give a few shout outs to construction, professional services and scientific and technical services. So usually what I tell my clients, at least this one takeaway is uh, maybe your human capital isn't quite as high as you'd want. But from what we understand and what we've seen as the express entry program starts to transition to more targeted draws, allegedly in the spring, what does that mean, right? <laughs> is that is that um the end of April? Is it the beginning of May? Is it some later spring? I guess it'll depend on um, what happens with the groundhog, right? So we'll, we'll, me and uh, me and Punxsutawney Phil, or whatever his name is, we'll be watching carefully come the end of, uh, of the winter as the snow starts to melt. And uh, I guess then we'll see what Minister Fraser has in mind, if he is indeed even still minister. Who knows? There's been such a revolving door um, within the the liberals uh, with their ministers. And it makes sense. It's, boy, that that portfolio is going to really, really grind you. Uh, us immigration lawyers are pretty, um, yeah, we're pretty, uh, I guess, <clears throat> connected with that feeling of uh, frustration and, and just overwhelm and burnout trying to navigate our way through this crazy area of law called immigration, Canadian immigration. So number one for sure is key sectors, work experience. If you're in those, well, hey, you're probably going to have an opportunity because things are starting to get tied to the job market. Now, number two, job offers. Uh, the reality is these job offers from Canadian employers are simply going to become more plentiful and, and essential. And, uh, you know, for years with Express Entry, we've known that if you don't have high enough human capital, then you better get yourself a study permit or consider trying to find a job. But obviously with the slowdown in the economy and the pandemic and, um, you know, just overall recession, there really weren't that many jobs. But my goodness, I don't know if it's the experience you guys have been seeing. Um, I'm getting more and more calls from employers looking to um, recruit and source skilled labor from abroad. So I'm in the process right now of trying to find some reputable recruiting agencies that I can actually trust that I can refer my clients to, um, so that they can actually try to source. I had one company who said, well, Mark, we have approximately 5,000 workers that we are short. 
and all of our major projects are having to be stalled. We're putting off our, you know, our, our, um, our clients and our backers because we simply do not have the bodies to do it. So that's kind of code for Mark that it's time to ramp up our business immigration component to our fine little firm. Now we've always been tinkering around and, you know, plugging along with the, the cross-border work that we've been doing for our corporate clients. But uh, yeah, the sourcing of foreign workers, it reminds me of the early days in the early 2000s when Alberta was booming and we had less than 3% unemployment where, you know, where HRSDC or HRSD or whatever they used to call themselves back then would literally help employers to fill the applications out. And there were certain sections of the uh, labor market where you could, um, if you fill it within those, you know, those, um, those industries, you wouldn't even need to advertise. It was, you know, these are the approved occupations that we just know there are shortages. So don't even bother advertising. Are we going to get there? We may very well get there. And, uh, you know, processing times for an LMIA in that crazy world climbed to as much as almost 10 or 11 months, I remember, at one point in time. And then we had, you know, preferred employers and, you know, there was streamlined pathways for employers who had gone through the the juggernaut and gotten an an LMO originally. And then the second go round just tended to be a little bit easier. So all of these things were put in place to help employers find the the critical labor that we needed to fill our shortages. And are we there? Hmm. We're headed in that direction, you guys. So if you haven't, start ramping up your uh, your LMIA processes and your, you know, getting everybody uh, all, well, psyched up, I guess, is the best way to describe it because, oh my goodness, isn't that awful? Oh, I wish that the LMIA process was as nice as those early days of LMOs back in 2003 and 2004. Oh, those were nice days. Anyways. Who, this just shows my age. I can't believe I've been practicing this long. It's hard to believe that, you know, I, yeah, it was 2003, 2004. That's when I first got my first taste when I was summering at Gowlings in Calgary. And, and the first LMIAs and the first low skill LMIAs were, um, you know, were instituted. And I remember one year I helped a company um, recruit and bring in over a thousand Mexican workers for various companies uh, across Alberta. Wow, those were crazy days. And who knows, maybe those days are, are on the return. We'll see. So, you know, I tell my, my companies and I, I tell, uh, you know, my individual clients who are looking for opportunities that um, the LMIA process, the foreign worker program, they need to start to ramp things up. And we also have seen just recently that um, the government is really trying to ratchet down the compliance and and to really tighten things up and make sure that, you know, workers aren't being exploited and all those kinds of things. But, oh boy, when there's job offers to be had and people people are desperate for them to be able to um, have that leg up going through express entry and permanent residence, all kinds of creeps and scums and, you know, just the the dregs of of the recruitment world climb out of the, the sewers and then, start offering all these fake jobs and exploiting people. And well, we'll see if the government's a little bit more prepared this go round than they were, you know, in the early 2010s and 12, 13, 14, when uh, then Minister Kenny decided he was going to crack down on this abuse of the foreign worker program. And, you know, in fairness, many of the fast food franchises had literally 
uh, developed their hiring strategy around the foreign worker program because, you know, how many university and high school kids were able to take on full positions during the day? There weren't. So it was easy to show that you couldn't find a Canadian to fill the position because it was a full-time position. And so that's where we would see our, our fast food franchises filled with, uh, with Filipinos and, and other, you know, really awesome foreign workers. Boy, I, I missed them when they were uh, eventually, um, that, that gig was shut down by Minister Kenny. But um, yeah, those were the days. And, you know, there was lots of work uh, doing work permits and LMIAs. And I think that world is coming. So you guys definitely need to pay attention and, and get ready if you haven't uh, wrapping those things up. All right. Uh, yeah. One thing's clear, though, from the minister's report um, that, uh, you know, anyone seeking to immigrate now or in the near future without some form of Canadian work experience is going to have a pretty sleep, uh, steep hill to climb. And even within the pro- report itself, IRCC has made it pretty clear um, that, and quote, immigrants with previous temporary Canadian work experience generally have, sound familiar, you guys, better labor market integration and are unlikely to experience the same degree of difficulty with the transferability of their human capital. So what does that mean for aspiring express entry applicants? Uh, Unfortunately, gone to the days where human capital alone will be enough to secure an ITA. And the report confirms as well that if you want to immigrate to Canada, you pretty much have two options, right? And these are not new. These are what we've been discussing since the inception of express entry in 2015. You study in Canada, obtain a postgrad, and then apply for PR, right? Or two, secure that job offer, then come get a work permit, and after working, apply for PR. So that seems to be the, the world that we're going down. And, um, you know, I think we were waiting for that shoe to drop. And we knew that this was coming. But it's, uh, it's a question of whether or not we're actually ready to, uh, to really grab it by the horns, per se, and move forward. So those candidates, those FSWs outside of Canada, you know, everything isn't all lost for them. You know, if they have good language, uh, French language, that is. And, uh, you know, if they happen to fall within one of those lotteries, if you want to call it that, um, where express entry starts the targeted draws and, you know, then their, their work experience tends to land right on the knock. Well, maybe there might be an opportunity for them. So we'll have to see what Minister... Fraser does in the spring. All right. Number three, Express Entry is opening the doors to low-skill work experience in Canada. And this also isn't anything new, but um, it's important, I think, for people to realize that TIER is coming. TIER is going to be here in November. And the interesting thing is whether the comments that the minister, well, basically in the plan... The, uh, you know, the, the suggestion that express entry will include more opportunities for workers at all skill levels. Are they just referring to those, you know, those C and D level that are being elevated now to a tier three in, in the tier system such that they're eligible? Is that what he's talking about? Or will they truly look at other, you know, other occupations that tend to fall in the lower ranks and still elevate them? as being in contention for one of those targeted draws. That's a question that we'll have to see arise. But without a doubt, those who were left out 
you know, your, your truck drivers, your, um, your personal care attendants, you know, those individuals uh, who traditionally were left out of the, the mix are now going to have opportunities. And that's made abundantly clear. And realistically, those opportunities could be coming as early as November when, once again, the government has said, this is when we're instituting it. And oh, with everything they've got going on, I don't know how they're going to do it. So low skill is going to have uh, some opportunities. Okay, let's take a little break here for one of our sponsors, and then we will come back and wrap up the last three. This episode of the Canadian Immigration Podcast is sponsored by the Canadian Immigration Institute, one of the best sources of video content on Canadian immigration to help you navigate your way through the Canadian immigration process. Head on over to the YouTube channel where there's tons of video content and you can join Mark, yes, myself, in a number of live video streams, Q&As, all designed to help you navigate your way through this crazy Canadian immigration process. When you're done there, like and subscribe and then head on over to the CanadianImmigrationInstitute.com where you can find all those awesome DIY courses that I've been talking about. Thank you, Canadian Immigration Institute. You are the sponsor of this amazing little podcast. All right, so let's jump into number four, which is basically rural Canada is on the rise. And as we've seen this huge, huge push to... Um, expand the the annual levels of immigrants each year. And we're really seeing annual levels plans uh, for economic immigration rise to numbers that have never been seen before. So when it comes to increased numbers, there are winners. And who are the winners? The PNPs, you know, the rural communities. And now once again, resurfacing this, this municipal program, which... I think it was t- 2019 that that sucker was uh, originally brought forward as a, you know, as um, uh, a focus for, I think it was, was it Houston then? I can't remember. It's all a blur. Maybe it was Mendocino. I can't remember. But anyways, the, you know, this municipal nominee program, um, the minister in this plan is once again brought it forward and said it's currently in development. Well, <laughs> all right, three years later, it's still in development, but whatever. Why announce a program if you're not actually going to release it? I guess the pandemic, the pandemic did slow things down, but uh, but yeah, the the PNPs and you know the rural northern immigration pilot, you know all of those programs that have strong emphasis on encouraging immigrants to head to other communities that are not Toronto and Vancouver and Montreal and and even then expanding out to more rural areas, um, you know outside other provinces as well. That is now a significant. Factor, and that's how we have the rural and northern immigration program that's no longer a pilot. That that label's dropped, and you know, so and we have the uh, Atlantic immigration program. Um, you know, well, I should say the northern immigration pilot program is going to be dropping it for sure. But the question is, what really is going to be the ultimate difference between the municipal nominee program and the rural and northern immigration pilot program? You know, we've got one community right close to us, Claire's home, that has been a part of the uh, RNIP since its inception. And uh, and now we've got other communities here that are leveraging off of some of the rural programs that the 
Alberta Advantage immigration program has uh, um, has created, and one of those communities, Tabor, just down the, the road from me in the other direction, heading east, they also are getting into this game. So, yes, new municipal nominee program. It's in development, and we'll see what happens with it. But, yeah, but these communities, these are winners. So what am I telling my clients? I'm telling them, go choose these places. Um, and if you look at the RNIP, the majority of those candidates are open work permit holders. They're post-grad work permit holders who have said, hey, there's a community that's nominating people. I don't have super high human capital. I'm not sure if I'm going to get drawn with CEC, so I'm going to go move there. And that's exactly what happened to Claire Som. I know, um, I know the, um, the good folks that are working through that program. I had a good friend who's got a, a farm out there that, uh, you know, um, uh, entered into that process of utilizing uh, the RNIP to, to get people to stay um, right through the beginning of the pandemic. But wow, you know, to a large extent, it's already happening. This temporary resident to permanent resident flip that is becoming like it wasn't always, but now it is, there's a huge, huge emphasis on that. So we'll see how that plays out, but I'm advising my clients that, you know, if they're looking, where am I going to go? Um, you know, if they have opportunities for studies, I'll get to this a little bit later in the podcast, but people have to be looking outside the larger centers because that's where there's a huge push and there's greater opportunities and more, um, you know, more programs to potentially choose from for immigrants instead of competing fiercely for limited spots in the larger centers. So we'll see how that all plays out. All right, number five, French language ability has never been more important. So we know that the Liberals have very clear targets to, uh, you know, to at least meet 4.4% French-speaking immigrants um, by 2023. So, you know, I have no doubt that my, in my mind that they're going to be able to hit that 4.4%. The reality is, even those who have even just a little bit of French, you can get a few extra points, right? There's points awarded, you know, if English is your first language, boy, imagine... Well, I'm here over in Alberta, so the vast majority of my clients are not primary French speaking as their first language. They're, you know, they'll have French on the side. But boy, those candidates that have strong French skills have so many opportunities, not just the extra 50 points that they get from express entry, but, you know, the Francophone Mobilité, there's that work permit program and just a host of, of other options that exist with the PNPs even. And uh, this emphasis on French speakers coming and settling outside of Quebec. So I'm telling my clients, even if you have the slightest ability to communicate in French, well, start brushing up. And in reality, a lot of people have already started to do that, but easier said than done. Regardless, the sooner their French improves, the sooner their opportunities, you know, uh, to book a ticket to Canada are going to come. So 4.4% French speaking target. That's the goal. Um, of the Liberals by 2023 and, and our immigration department. And so we'll see how that expands and how the various Francophone minority communities outside of Quebec, how they benefit from it. But the minister, when he specifically addresses those communities and they specifically have addressed this repeatedly in all of the grand announcements and, and things like that, well, you know, the, the reality is for if you have French language ability, and you're looking to come to Canada, do you look at Quebec? Do you say, maybe that's not my first option? 
In fact, there might be more opportunities for permanent residence as a French speaker outside of Quebec because of these new mandates from IRCC. Okay, let's wrap it up. Number six, and this is specifically addressed to international students who might be listening to this or you advising them as they're thinking about coming to Canada. They have to be strategic about where, where they are studying in Canada. And I guess not where, but what, but tucked away quietly within that report was an acknowledgement by RCC of the lack of diversity within the ranks of our international student populations, which is not surprising. And, um, you know, IRCC admitted that they're looking for ways to diversify source countries for the international student program. So what is this code for? It's code for we're going to start approving less study permits, maybe from India and China and more from other countries. So more than ever, students, especially from those countries, need to be super strategic. One, just in getting their study permits to start with, but in, you know, choosing obviously where their their destination is. And um, when I look at this and I talk about, uh, and I talk with my clients, it's clear that they can't just choose whatever school is the cheapest and easiest to gain admission to. Well, we've known that and we've advised on that for a long time. Now, that's different from education agents who are paid by the schools and have somewhat of an incentive to encourage them to go to those schools. Um, but for goodness sakes, like these, these international students do not study in one-year programs you know, unless you intend to stack them because one year will never be enough if you actually intend to become a permanent resident. So, you know, two years is the minimum. And, and I, I say that repeatedly so that they can get the three-year post-grad work permit and actually have options. But, uh, but yeah, when I'm advising them, they need to pay attention to where their school is located now. And, uh, and of course, what they're choosing to study. And in that report, IRCC made it very clear that they want students to choose programs of study outside of the major urban centers. Do you see a theme here? So they want to encourage foreign workers to go live and settle in areas outside of the major centers. And now they're emphasizing with students. Why? Because typically where students set their roots initially with school, they tend to then settle and work in those areas. So I'll be honest, I can't help but think that IRCC will bake this ingredient into their advanced analytics when they're assessing these study permits. Now, obviously, there are other factors at play. However, if IRCC says they're going to, quote, from the, poly, from the plan here, incentivize students to look beyond major urban centers when choosing a program of study, I listen. And you should listen too. So when my clients ask me for advice on where they should study in Canada, I'll be honest, I place significant emphasis on geography. So, you know, when when you look at the volatility of the PR programs, just not knowing what the federal programs are going to do, I want my clients to have the greatest number of PR options available to them when choosing a school. And um, I can't remember, I was reading one report that said over 49% of international students headed to Ontario, well... (laughs) That's just crazy. That's unbelievable. So guess where I advise my clients not to go? Don't go to Ontario. Well, a careful analysis of the future PR options in a potential province of destination, it can go a long ways to avoiding headache when they're trying to compete with thousands of other students for those limited PNP spots. And, you know, when you look at the Atlantic Immigration Program, well, that can add another layer of incentive to choose to maybe study in, you know, PEI or New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, um, St. John, Newfoundland, like one of those Atlantic provinces. 
versus the common destinations of Ontario, BC and Quebec. So these are the discussions that I have with my clients. And, uh, you know, the reality is pretty much every PNP program itself in some form um, has an incentive baked into that program to encourage students to choose to study, who choose to study in those provinces to then stick around and, you know, apply for permanent residence after they work for a bit. So, you know, when you're trying to determine, you know, which provinces have the best programs, well, I tend to look to see where the least number of grads are competing for those spots. And, um, you know, and then when we look at the industries that uh, the minister has laid out, you have to pay attention to those industries. And when your clients are asking you, you know, what do you recommend? We're not education agents. What do we know? But in all, in all honesty, we actually know quite a bit if their long-term intention is to become permanent residents. So if they want to increase their chances of securing PR, well, they'd be well advised to choose a program of study in one of IRCC, you know, priority industries that I talked about earlier in, uh, in my uh, takeaway number one. So rather than just simply choosing a program like they usually do in business or management or public administration, well, I tell them to broaden their horizons and try to find a program that only makes that not only makes sense for their education plan and their study permit application, because obviously it has to make sense, but a program that also aligns with where the jobs can be found in Canada following graduation. So those are the top six takeaways that I pulled out of this uh you know, somewhat, like I said, regurg- excuse me, regurgitated, uh, you know, previously announced, um, you know, re-announced plans that are contained within there. But, uh, you know, there's still room for interesting possibilities. And it would be nice for the minister to just roll it out, let us know what it is, and, you know, and just stop with the big announcements. It's so much, so much over-promising and under-delivering. And you would think by now that they would learn it makes sense to do the opposite. But they like the big splash and then, you know, the ripples don't go very far, right? And then it dies down and and then you get Twitter frenzy, which <laughs> I had the audacity to suggest that maybe it wasn't all fluff. And, uh, you know, and most people, you know, they weren't buying it. So that's why I decided to, uh, to write this little blog post on our site um, and do this podcast. So there you have it. Mark Holthy is back doing the podcast. I hope this was of somewhat, um, some, some use to you guys and uh, we'll see how it plays out. But I've done videos for so long now that it's kind of fun just to sit here in my sweatshirt and my sweatpants and uh, <laughs> not that I don't have my sweatpants on anyways or whatever when I'm doing the live videos uh, with a shirt and tie on top and, you know, party in the bottom, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's nice to just not have to worry about combing my hair or doing anything and uh, and just get back to the the good old days of podcasts. And we're closing in on 100 here, which is pretty darn cool. So we're definitely going to get some guests back onto the podcast. And I've been spinning out some of my video content and uh, I've been really kind of torn between, you know, what do I do with the podcast? And, uh, you know, so then I was contemplating this immigration nation and I started doing that with the video content, which I'm also going to circle back to. But I'll be honest, you guys, I'm just so busy with CBA stuff and, you know, on the national executive. And I'm, I'm really, you know, I'm to some extent, I am going through some withdrawals right now as I dropped off the table here on September the 1st. And uh, it was a wonderful experience, a wonderful opportunity. I was really, really disappointed that I wasn't able to get together with everyone um, in our, you know, our annual conferences. And 
and to be able to see people in person and, and to feel like, you know, you're actually leading the section instead of, you know, just trying to manage fire after fire and meeting after meeting with the government and frustration of, of people and trying to access portals. And don't get me started with this forced push to online. <laughs> we all know it's going to be a disaster. It already is, but we'll save that topic for another podcast. All right, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to, uh, to this episode of the Canadian Immigration Podcast. And uh, I look forward to seeing you guys in the future. Thank you for listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, your trusted source for information on Canadian immigration law policy and practice. If you would like to book a legal consultation, please visit www.holtylaw.com. You can also find lots more helpful information on our Canadian Immigration Institute YouTube channel, where you can join Mark on one of his many Canadian immigration live Q&As. See you soon, and all the best as you navigate this crazy world we call Canadian immigration. Yeah.